And I do want to say that I have missed you the last couple weeks. Oh, thank you so much. I was on vacation, went to Colorado. I'll make you feel bad while you're here sweating in Texarkana. I was wearing a sweatshirt in Colorado. But anyway, I was thinking, well, Lord, maybe you're calling us up to this cooler climate. But uh, no church asked, but I'm happy to be home. And uh, last week I did a wedding in northern Arkansas for Will Humphrey. Will's been in our church ever since he was a baby. And uh, he's 20-something. He said, Pastor, I'd be honored if you'd marry me. So uh, I was in Rogers last week, and, and, and I missed you, but I'm glad I'm here. Um, we're going to start a new series, but it's going to be in September called Your Best Life Now. And uh, I, that, that stuck with me while I was on vacation, and I'll develop that. But we hadn't finished the book of Hebrews yet. Hebrews is one of the richest uh, chapters in all of the Bible because it deals with some of the most, I hate to use the word famous, but I'm going to use it, some of the most famous and influential people in world history, but especially biblical history. And they found prominence in the world because they learned how to exercise their faith in God. You remember the series was called Faith Faith Endures and Faith Receives. And there's two parts to that, and uh, we're exploring both of them and see how they work to, to, together. But as we look at people in the Bible, for example, Abraham, you remember? He, had to, he got a promise from God, but he had to wait 25 years. His faith had to carry him along through doubts for 25 years until he received the promise that God gave him. Well, faith, you remember the, the picture that I really like, and I think this speaks to us uh, about a link and a chain. It's like the top chain is God and God's willingness to help, and uh, the bottom part of the chain is our need, but it's that link in the middle that joins the chains together. Faith is how we connect with God. Faith, and I'll even say this, is a spiritual fact. So when we have heard from the Lord, when there's a promise from God, when there's something that we're seeking God for, faith helps us make that connection uh, with God. Faith means to believe or trust God, but it's very important to understand that faith means we also act. Faith is not just a passive belief. But faith is an active expression. We'll see that when we talk about Moses tonight. Uh, last time we were here, we talked about Joseph and uh, Joseph the dreamer. Well, tonight we're going to talk about Moses. Uh, there's not many people alive, I doubt, uh, at least in the, in the developed world, that have not heard of a guy named Moses. You know, Moses and the Ten Commandments is at the apex of the Supreme Court of the United States holding the Ten Commandments. Moses, the lawgiver. So Moses was this deliverer, the people of Israel, of course, from Egypt. They were there for hundreds of years, and Moses was the guy that God used to bring, some scholars believe, between one and two million people out of Egypt towards the promised land. So we're going to jump in this tonight. This is uh, part eight in this series, but uh, Hebrews chapter 11. 11 verse 22 is where we're going to begin. And I want to transition from Joseph to Moses. And I want to say 400 years is a long time to wait. I mean, no, none of us are going to wait for anything 400 years. <laughs> you might wait 40 or 80, or you might wait 100 or a little bit more. But the nation of Israel had a 400 year rate. Wait, let's read about it. It was by by faith, this confident belief in God's word that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. 
So, so he's speaking something that hadn't happened yet and wouldn't happen for some 400 years. Uh, Joseph even told them as much as he said, look, I don't want my bones to be, something's falling from the sky. I don't know what it is. Uh, jo- Joseph said, jo- uh, see, now look, whatever's up there, you messed me up. Joseph said, I don't want to be buried in Egypt. I want you to take me back to the promised land. So it's this kind of language of faith. It's this confidence that looks ahead towards the future, and it gives us a bearing in life. Uh, Of course, you remember the uh, historical account, Abraham, he's called the father of faith. Uh, He was the father first of the Jewish people who would give birth to Jesus Christ. Abraham got this promise, not only that he would have a son, but the Jewish people would inherit the promised land. And of course, he went over to this promised land. He had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac lived there. Isaac had a a son uh, named Jacob. Jacob would become the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. His name was changed to Israel. Well, uh, his sons were in the promised land. There's about 70 of them with their family. There's a famine that comes, and God brings the people from the promised land to this place called Egypt. And it makes you scratch your head sometimes because there's a tension in the Bible when it comes to this thing called faith. God gave a promise to Abraham, the children of living uh, of Israel were living in the promised land, and then God takes them out. It's like that doesn't make sense sometimes, and then they're away from it for 400 years. So you've got generations that lived and died in Egypt that were supposed to inherit this promise. And sometimes it's like that for us. God makes us a promise, uh, and here's what we want, promise, faith, answer. Uh, hope, faith, answer. Need, faith, answer. But for these guys, it was a 400-year wait. Now, they had no clue what God was doing, but God was basically setting up the deliverance paradigm, the Passover lamb, the giving of the law through Moses and all that. But all they knew is that God had given a promise. And sometimes God makes a promise to us, and we have to wait a long time. And, you know, even sometimes promises take a lifetime to be fulfilled, and some promises are not fulfilled until after our death. But yet this whole journey, we walk in faith, believing God. Almost the next to the last verse in Hebrews 11 says this, all these people that he'd mentioned were commended through their faith, but they didn't all receive what was promised. In other words, faith was the impetus. Faith was what was behind the journey. Faith what's made them go. Faith what's made them believe God. Faith made them live the Christian life. Faith made them practice the Bible, but yet the answer to it was beyond their grasp. So faith is not just a, I want it, I need it, give it to me, I have faith. Sometimes there's a process going on. There's a timing going on that we may not understand. Some of you may have been praying for your children their entire adult life and they're away from God and it seems like they're getting farther away, but you're standing in the gap for them that they're going to come to God and you might pray for them up until your deathbed. 
See, but what is it? It is faith. It is a belief in God. It is a confidence in God. In, case of the, in the case of the children, Philippi, or Paul said to the Philippians, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved in your household. And you stand on that scripture all the days of your life. And I got a good, a good chance, my friends, that those kids are coming to Christ. But faith is, is, is not just to give it to me now. Faith helps us walk through the process and maintain our confident belief in God. Well, here's the first application. And you know I do this every week. We try to take the historical scripture and apply it to our everyday life. Something that you can put into practice from what we read. And here's the first one. Don't let the weight shake our faith in God. Don't let the weight shake our faith in God. God's timetable may be a bit different from ours, but God enables us to endure while we're waiting. Now, how about, have you thought about the, 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 those that are believers that are alive in the book of Revelation? Or how about Matthew 24, when Jesus talks about the end of the world? It's some shaking going on in this world, my friend. And one day, people are going to be forced to take the mark of the beast or lose their life. Come on now. One day, there's going to be famines that come across the world. Well, guess what? You're going to need faith in God if you happen to be here during that time. There's going to be people. There's going to be believers. I sure hope the rapture is happening before then. But there will be believers during the book of the Revelation, during Matthew 24's predictions, Luke 13's predictions, um, uh, 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 Mark 13, rather, and Luke 24, all these future predictions. And Jesus even asked this question in a parable. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So faith is something that sustains us while, while we're waiting and if it happens to be difficulty. Now let's get to Moses. Look at verse 23. And let me say this. Faith can be risky. I mean, no, it takes faith whether you're a Christian or not to start a business. I mean, no, it takes faith to, I don't know what, launch a college career or launch a profession um, faith can be risky. Verse 23 says it was by, by faith that Moses's parents. Now, let, before we think about Moses, let's think about mom and dad. Now, here's where we are in Israel's history. They had gotten there and Joseph, the favored son of Jacob, saved the whole world from a famine. He interpreted Pharaoh's dream. You remember, of course, the historical account. And, and they save up all this grain and literally they save the world. They're the bastion of food for a seven-year period of time. And so for a while, Israel is heroes. But at some point in time after Joseph dies, Israel makes, I mean, Egypt makes Israel into slaves. So they have been slaves now for a couple hundred years when we pick up this account. So Moses' parents, uh, by faith, hid him for three months when he was born. You say, well, why would you do that? You're supposed to show off your baby. Uh, our little granddaughter Mia just had a, her second birthday, and I think she had how many birthday parties? Uh, seven, eight. Seven, eight. <laughs> I mean, you're wanting to show her off, and mom has her dressed to the nines every time, and, and, and you show her. But Moses is here, and he, his mom and dad are hiding him because Pharaoh had gotten scared of the Israelites. Israel was in a tough place as slaves, but how I many know even as a slave, God can bless your socks off? 
And that's what God did. God multiplied those people, if I can say, like rabbits. And before you know it, the, the, the Egyptians are scared that the Israelites are going to take over. So they make them slaves, and Pharaoh makes this edict. Now think about this. If our President Biden or if a Mr. Putin or someone said every male child is going to be killed. So the midwives, when you go, you kill that baby. You throw him in the Nile, you cut his throat, whatever you do. But you kill that male child and don't let him live. So the whole time Moses' mom and dad are pregnant, they're thinking about this. If this is a girl, she's okay. But if it's a boy, we're going to have a little bit of a problem. So that was what they were feeling. Uh, they saw that God had given them an unusual child. Some translations say beautiful, but the word unusual suggests to me that they recognized something special about this young man. He had a divine destiny. Um, and listen to this. They were not afraid to disobey the king's command. So here the king says, kill the baby. And you know what? They hid the baby for three months and Pharaoh could have killed them. So their faith in God, that's what it says. By faith, his parents hid him for three months and their faith made them go against the king's authority. And of course, you know how the, how the account unfolds after three months, Moses is crying a lot. He's like most babies and he's learned how to cry and throw fits. And they just said, we just can't keep him in the house. So again, they exercise faith. faith uh, the mama puts the baby in a basket and pushes him out into the Nile river. Well, guess who happens to be taking a bath at that time? The only person in the world that can save that baby, Pharaoh's daughter. So Pharaoh's daughter sees little Moses and he's quit crying by now and he's cooing. And she said, what a beautiful baby. And you know what she does? She adopts Moses and Moses become Pharaoh, the king, becomes his grandson with every privilege. Oh, and it got better too. Uh, uh, Moses' sister, bigger sister came along and asked Pharaoh's daughter, would you like for me to find someone to nurse the baby? Well, guess who she got? Moses' mom. So this is a God set up from the beginning, but it started because mom and dad had faith that God was doing something and they were willing to take a risk. Uh, and what their faith did, their faith gave birth to one of the greatest men in the history of the world. Now I, I want to, uh, so the next life application obviously is faith in God will affect generations to come. When we do things, for example, uh, let's say giving money. Uh, if you were here last Wednesday night, uh, we had a, an evangelist here to Ghana. Uh, Ghana? Uh, yeah, to Ghana. And uh, he so inspired me. He was talking about doing crusades, and not in church buildings, but, but, but to the primitive people that can't read, that don't, have, that don't have Bibles, they don't know Christ, they're Muslims, and they're just gather under the big trees, and they have an, an outreach, and hundreds come to Christ, and they start a church. Well, they don't have a Bible. He said, I, I can get them a Bible that is not, because they don't have, they can't read. So it doesn't do any goodness in their language, but there's a little Bible that is like a radio that has a solar cell on it. That's got a card that plugs into it and they can hear the Bible in their language. So I'm praying about how much money to send them to buy Bibles 
See, if you join in this thing with me where we've got our little drop-down Bibles for missions, this is what we do. We gather money, and then we send Bibles out. But I'm just I'm thinking about, okay, so can you imagine all these people, they get saved, they get a Bible, their roots go down, so generations are impacted. Their children that grew up uh, hopeless as Muslims, you know, not knowing Christ the Savior, will know Christ the Savior. So our faith... To give a little money, maybe the Holy Spirit knocks on your no, knocks on your noggin there and says, "Hey, I want you to give whatever." And there's a part of you that said, "Well, I'm not sure about that," but faith acts, and it affects generations to come. Now, before I leave this point, I want to I want to talk about their disobedience to a government order. Pharaoh was you didn't have a Congress back then; he was the man, and he'd give an order to kill the baby. So they disobeyed. And here's my question. When is civil disobedience appropriate for a Christian? Now, I want you to think about that just a moment because I, I somehow have to separate my politics and my preferences from my core Christian beliefs. And I think I can give you an answer in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5 of course, Jesus has been resurrected. He's gone to heaven. The Holy Spirit's come, baptized the believers. They're full of the Holy Ghost. Peter and John go into to pray in the evening, and they see a crippled man, and he's healed. And before you know it, they're preaching about Jesus, and people are getting saved. And these Jews that killed Jesus are going nutso. They're angry about it all. Well, they bring Peter and, and John in front of the, the Sanhedrin, same people that killed Jesus now. Now, these men and women, full of the Holy Ghost, are standing in front of them, and here's what they say. The, the Sanhedrin, they brought the apostles before the high council. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man Jesus' name. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human authority. Now, again, it's not your political preferences, it's not just your own personal preferences, but when the state or a governing authority or an employer or whoever commands you to disobey God, you, my friends, and I have a God-given and constitutionally protected right, it's called the First Amendment, to stand up for our religious beliefs and values. We have a responsibility for you will often if you follow the news listen if mr biden's party controlled both houses of congress today it's no telling what kind of laws would be written when obamacare was being written they wanted to force every doctor and nurse to participate in abortions if you're a christian doctor or nurse it's time to say no uh, I mean, I mean there, there, there's, there's other examples. For example, one day it may be in America that ministers or churches are required to conduct same-sex marriages. Well, my friend, it's time for this preacher will say no. no. Why is that? Because I hate same-sex people? No, I love them. I want to see them come to Jesus. It's just against the Bible's teaching. Because God's way is a man and a woman shall be joined together. It's the law of our land, and all it takes is uh, all it takes is somebody in Congress or, or a president to be able to try to enforce that law. I'll give you another little picture. Have you ever heard of a man named Coach Kennedy? 
Well, about six years ago, this guy, I think Oregon or Washington, after the game, football game on Friday night, he would just go in the middle of the football field, get down on his knees and pray. And before you knew it, he didn't invite anybody, but it had players coming and joining him and the other team coming and joining him. And for this secular antichrist spirit rose up and said, separation of church and state, you can't do that. I believe it's Bremerton, Washington. This man lost his job. Well, you know what he did? He got with some Christian legal institutions. They took it all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court says, back down, secular people. The Supreme Court, listen, the Constitution guarantees you the right to religious freedom. It is my understanding that this man has his job again, and he'll be praying on the football field Friday night. Now, listen, that should be an inspiration to everyone that's involved with our children in sports and anything else. I don't care if it's sports down there by the FCI or if it's sports on a Friday night or a basketball game. Listen, friends, we have a right to pray and the government cannot stop us. So that's what, we're, that's what we kind of picked up from that little point there about it's, faith is risky, risky for Moses' parents. Uh, so the life application is very clear. Sometimes our faith in God will cause us to resist unlawful authority. And you know, it's often at that point of our resistance that God supernaturally moves. Isn't that what he did with Daniel? What did Daniel, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bow down to the statue or you're going to be killed? And they said, we ain't doing it. He said, I'm throwing you in there, going to burn you up. And they get in there and they just start dancing a little bit. Jesus, Jesus, I guess, is with them. You know, the angel of the Lord, I think it was the Lord, Christ, uh, Christophany. But Jesus is in there dancing and they get shocked and they come out and they don't even smell like smoke. What happened? They disobeyed and it made a door for God, it, their faith invited God into a situation and God turned things around because of it. Let's go to Moses now, verse 24. Moses' faith, and this is, a, this is probably the, the toughest part of the message. His faith made him reject pleasure and comfort and choose hardship. Now, mind you now, you're Pharaoh's grandson. Um, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was Jewish. He chose to, sh and guess what his mama, as she nursed him and nurtured that child, mama could have well been nanny his whole growing up years. She imparted to him the Jewish faith. She imparted to him what Abraham had been taught by God, what Adam and Eve had been taught by God, what Enoch had been taught by God. Someone imparted into Moses his Jewish heritage, and he look what he did. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ, the Messiah. Now, now, now Moses, this is, he, we don't know about Jesus yet. This is decades or centuries to come. But he's looking ahead to the promise of a Messiah. He's looking ahead to a deliverer. He's looking ahead to the one that's going to crush Satan under his foot when Adam and Eve were promised when they left the Garden of Eden. He's looking ahead towards this Messiah. Uh, he says it's better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. Why? He was looking ahead to his great reward. The rewards that Pharaoh had to offer were nothing in comparison to the eternal rewards of God. 
What made him do this? Faith. Faith in God. Not just faith as we understand it, to believe in Christ to go to heaven. But he basically was a man that said, I'm going to believe God and I'm going to go God's ways even if it's a cost. Uh, Egypt, pagans, idolatrous ways, uh, idolatry, it was the opposite from the one true God. And he had a choice to make. Listen to this. I'm going to follow God or I'm going to follow the world. Faith makes me follow God. My feelings, my craving, my soulish nature makes me go the ways of the world. Here's the next life application. Faith makes us choose between God's ways and the world's ways. And sometimes our own personal desires. You got quiet on me. Remember that phrase, the fleeting pleasures of sin and the treasures of Egypt? Well, that's the same for us today. Listen to what John wrote. John wrote first to John chapter 2. John said, and he was an apostle, of course, don't love this world nor the things that it offers you. That's not talking about the planet earth and gardeners. He's not saying don't love the earth. He's talking about the value system of the world. He's talking about the way things are done. I mean, in business, it could be bribery. Uh, Lying is everywhere. Corruption is everywhere. Immorality is everywhere. I mean, you pick your subject, and and, and worldliness is everywhere. It's taught in college classes. The beginning foundation for most secular college classes is there is no God. The heart of psychology, I got a minor in psychology many moons ago, and I had to unlearn most of it. It was very helpful in understanding, but the problem is it was man-centered and not God-centered. So anyway, this is the world. And then John tells us what the world is. John says the world offers only, and he says three things, a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Now, I think this is a matter of possessions. First of all, is craving air conditioners wrong? <laughs> That's physical pleasure. How about uh, craving for everything we see? I-, I went to Dillard's and they were giving away shirts almost, and I bought a few. Was that? Was that? Was that it? Was he? T- I-, I don't think so. A, a, a pride in our achievements and possessions. That doesn't mean that you feel good when you've accomplished something, but it means your identity, come on now, is in the decal on your car. Years ago, my my wife and I had a little Toyota minivan when we had kids, and I'm driving down 30 one day, and there's somebody else has one just like us. The only problem is on the back of his, it had XLT or something like that, and mine didn't. This is the kind of things we're talking about. So the, the issue is not can you want nice things and get some new clothes at the store or whatever. It's just what's first. What drives me? Does my love for God drive me? Or does my identity, come on now, with the, you pick it, the watch I wear, the clothes I wear, the car I drive, the, the title I have, which, which is first in my life? You see, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, God gives us things to enjoy. Never feel guilty if you're able to do something nice, to bless your family, to go on a nice vacation, to own a nice home. But just don't ever let that come in the place of God. 
So that's what John says. And again, we're talking about faith makes us choose between God's ways and the world ways. And it's not just John that said it. Uh, Jesus said it in Matthew 16. I, th- I think one of the, I think if this scripture was embraced by modern Christianity, America would be changed in a matter of weeks, months, or moments. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you want to hang on to your life, isn't this kind of what Moses did? If you want to hang on to your own life, uh, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Now, what does this mean? Give up your life. I have a friend right now, and I won't call it because this is being live streamed, but he left uh, yesterday, day before, for the nation of Haiti, who our own State Department has a huge warning. Anybody wanting to go to Haiti, don't go. Haiti is ruled by gangs. They have no police. They have no, they have no functioning government. But God called him to go there to do a work. Uh, our friends from Pakistan trying to establish Christianity in Pakistan. And if, and if the Pakistanians, the, 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 the uh, violent Muslims find out, they'll kill them. But God told them to go. So what happens here? Faith motivates you to follow God, and God simply wants to be more important than just wait until the sale comes off at Dillard's. Are you with me? Dillard's sales are not bad, but the cross on our shoulder as Christians, we are not just believers in Christ. We're followers of Christ. And followers have to have faith, and sometimes followers go and are asked to do something difficult. Well, anyway, I know that wasn't the biggest amen one, but it's a, it's a good one. Let me wrap this up here. Faith is in a battle against fear. Now, this is your unseen opposition, and it works in your head. Verse 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Now, some disagree on when we're talking about here. You remember when Moses was 40 and he tried to do his ministry in his own strength and he killed the Egyptian, buried him in the sand, and they found out about it? And uh, uh, the Bible says he was afraid and he ran away and lived in the wilderness for 40 years. I think it refers to the second time they left Egypt when he marched out leading one or two million people. Now, think about this. Pharaoh, most powerful man in the world, here we got little Moses. Moses is 80. Okay? He's not a spring chicken. He can't take Pharaoh on, you know, in a cage fight. Like, who is it? Zuckerberg and who wants to do a cage fight now? Yeah, they want to do a look. They'll never do that. But anyway, Moses, Moses is going to go to this man and say, let my people go. These people that are slaves. It was by faith that he left the land of Egypt. What does that mean? He's going to the promised land. He's got one to two million people to give water to every day, uh, 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 feed every day, and Charmin bath you tissue every day. 
I mean, can you imagine trying to lead one, two million people with no structure, with no government, and you're just going to go in the wilderness towards, towards the homeland, and there's no McDonald's along the way or subways? Let me keep reading. He kept right on going. Now, here's, here, I'd circle this word in my Bible. Because he kept his eyes on the one who is This is what faith does. Uh, an alternate translation says, Moses trusted God. He left Egypt and he wasn't afraid of the king who was angry. Or he was not afraid even though the king was angry because the king was losing his workforce. And the king did not like it. So faith enabled him to do a couple things here. Number one, faith enabled him to leave Egypt, but it allowed to lead, lead Egypt with confidence and not fear. Faith is the trump card for fear. Here's the life application. Our faith in God's intervention helps us obey God and win the battle against fear. Uh, notice that phrase. And, and this, is, this is really, if you want to take something home with you tonight, and only one thing, take this verse home. He kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. This is God. It's like, the reality that we see has a zipper. And if I could unzip it, I could see angels and demons and one day God himself. Um, one translation says, he held on to the one he did not see as if he saw him. Remember, faith is a spiritual fact. He held on. Uh, we see the handiwork of God in creation, world events, our own personal events sometimes, but yet we've never seen God, um, yet we still believe. Now, the New Testament affirms this same thing. Listen to what Peter said, and Peter is talking to Christians who are being persecuted. Peter says, 1 Peter 1, 7, the trials will show that your faith is because you never know if you really believe until you face a test. Your trials will show your faith is genuine. Now look at verse 8. I love this. This is New Testament. You love him even though you've... What that's, isn't that what we were doing in worship 20, 30 minutes ago? Your hands were lifted. You clapped. You closed your eyes. You took communion. You remembered back when Jesus saved you. You're looking at an empty cross, but you envision Jesus on the cross. And something in your heart has caused you to turn your whole life around to follow him. Peter said, you'd love him even though you've never seen him. You trust him. And listen to the good part. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Let me keep going here. There's spiritual power in the blood of an Old Testament sacrifice in the blood of Jesus. One of the main reasons why Israel was left in Egypt. Look at verse 28. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover, big word, and to sprinkle blood, the blood of a lamb, on the doorposts of their house so the angel of death would not kill the firstborn son. What's going on here? Moses says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. God says, okay, we're going to show you. He sends nine plagues. Plagues of locusts, plagues of frogs. I mean, you know, rivers turn into blood. It's all these things. Egypt is being destroyed by hail. But the last plague was God was going to send the death angel over. And unless you had sacrificed a lamb, 
taken blood from a basin with, with, with some, like some grass and put it on the doorpost of your house. Many believe it was in the shape of a cross. When the death angel came over, the firstborn in your house would die. Well, here's the life application here, friends. There is power in the blood to protect and save from judgment. It not only saved Israel, but it'll save you and I. Let me keep going. Let me, let me, let me read the passage, Exodus 12. The blood of a lamb will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. This is where the feast, the annual feast came from. I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. You remember what John the, John the Baptist said in John 1.29? When Jesus, 30 years of age, walks up to him, he says, Behold the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Do you know when Jesus was crucified? Passover. Think about it. Oh, that's just coincidence, and you Christians are just, I don't know, but it makes sense to me. Let me close. Obedience motivated by faith opens the door for God to intervene. Now we've had the 10th plague. Pharaoh said, get the heck out of here. They're going through the wilderness, verse 29, and the, the scholars can't agree on where they crossed the Red Sea, whether it was shallow, whether it was deep. There's a couple, you know, bodies of water that were there. They can't agree. It doesn't really matter. All I know is that it happened. But they're, getting, they're wandering in the wilderness, and there's water around them, and they're hemmed in by the water. They can't go through the water, and Pharaoh with, what is it, 600 chariots, is coming down on them, and they're scared to death they're about to be killed. So there's nowhere to go. You can't outrun a chariot when you're walking, and you got your kids. Verse 29 said, it was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though it were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were drowned. We found a picture of this. In the ancient archives. Now look at Moses. What did Moses do? A stick. Have you ever taken a stick and hit water with it? What happened? It splashed and floated. Moses, by faith, takes a stick and points it at the water and a wall of water. And a wind blew that night and it dried out the pathway and one to two million Israelites go across it. And Pharaoh, blinded by pride and everything else, this is the right side, says, I'm going through it too. Pharaoh takes the same stick and said, not today, baby. And they're gone. How did all that happen? By faith. By believing God, by trusting God, and by doing what he says. Now, let me wrap up with this, and, and this should give you a little encouragement. How many would say, I'd like to have the faith of Moses, but I don't? Well, I'm going to lift both hands. Let me tell you this. This will encourage you. Moses was not always a great man of faith. He was once paralyzed by fear. Moses ran away from Egypt when he was 40 because Pharaoh was going to kill him because he'd killed an Egyptian. Now he's 80. He's standing in front of a burning bush. He's had 40 years to be scared. 
uh, and at the burning bush, God speaks and says, I have come down to rescue them. And Moses thought, praise the Lord. But then he said this, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. <laughs> the, one, <laughs> the one who was either the same Pharaoh or a different one that tried to kill you 40 years ago. And what does Moses do? He makes five excuses. He protested to God, who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And lastly, the 13th verse, he pleaded again. Lord, please send someone else. So this great man is scared to death. So if there's hope for him, there's hope for you and I. Faith can grow. Here's the last life application. Even great people of faith struggle with doubt and obeying God. It is not always easy to have faith in God. Difficult situations, past experiences, uh, facts are all a magnet to fear, and fear can paralyze. But for a believer, when we have heard God and sought God and found a basis in the Bible, come on now, we can face our fears. We can put our rod towards the Red Sea. We can say, Lord, I might not be a good speaker, but you can speak through me. How many know it's not about us anyway? It's not about how much education we have. It's not about how much experience we have. It's not about how much money we have. How many know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Because it is in him I live and move and have my being. And if he tells me to do something, all I've got to do is say yes. If, I, if I'm Peter, I just got to step out of that boat. If I'm Ananias, I just got to go find that man named Saul. If I'm Gideon, all I got to do is blow my horn. And that's all I have to say about that. Give the Lord a good hand. He's worthy of our praise.